several years ago, my wife, Kayla, was in the early stages of her small side cake business, and she did a wedding cake for a family friend, and the cake was a stunning three-tier cake, and she spent countless hours on the piping and the border work of the cake, and it looked spectacular. Unfortunately, when the summer Georgia heat and this glorious cake met, uh, they didn't like each other. This kind of heat would have melted most of us, and yes, kids, even the Disney magic couldn't save Olaf from this kind of heat. The frosting melted, and the three-tier cake was now one tier. As she tried to fix one side of the cake, the other side of the cake was melting away in the heat. You can only imagine how Kayla must have felt in this moment. She was absolutely devastated. She had put so much hard work, countless hours into this cake for this. She, of course, was embarrassed as well, and I did my best to comfort her and console her. That didn't do much good. But this once glorious cake couldn't be left on display uh, at the wedding. It It had all tumbled down. So what would we do now? There had to be a cake for the bride and the groom to be able to cut into. Yes, you guessed it, Publix. (laughs) What an absolute bummer for this bride and groom, right? They were expecting this grand three-tier cake for their wedding to cut into and to to share with their guests. And now they've got this one-tier grocery store-bought cake. This is how the Israelites likely felt in Haggai's day. Whenever they were looking at the ruins of the temple, Solomon's temple in all of its glory was tumbled down by the Babylonians, was taken down. And they were disappointed, they were discouraged by the task that was ahead of them because they knew that, or they believed that the second temple couldn't be any, come anywhere close to the first temple. But we will find encouragement from Haggai in our, in our passage this morning that because of the Lord's presence, there will be this latter glory that will be greater than the former glory of the first temple. So let's look to Haggai chapter 1, verse 15b through 2-9. Haggai chapter 1, 15b through 2-9. And let's see this this latter glory that is going to be greater than the former. And this future glory, by the way, cannot be shaken. Hebrews, uh, Haggai chapter 1, 15b. In the second year of Darius the king, in the seventh month on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. 
According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory, than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord, church. Let's pray. Lord, we are so humbled and grateful that we have the scriptures in our hands this morning, your very breath that we get to hear from this morning. And we pray that you would give us ears to hear the truth of the scriptures. We pray that you would humble and prepare our hearts as we look to your word. Help us to see your glory. Help us to see how grand, how majestic you are, O Lord. Help us to see that you are worthy of living for in light of your glory. Work in our lives this morning so that we would come under the lordship of you, so that we would live lives that honor you. And Lord, may you embolden us by the fact that you are present with us and that your kingdom cannot be shaken so that we would take your gospel to the ends of the earth for your glory. We ask all this in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, we see the disappointing glory of the new temple. We see the disappointing glory of the new temple. If you'll recall last week, Pastor Matt ended his sermon in 115a, and this is because many scholars believe that 15b goes with chapter 2. In our passage this morning, it it occurs in the second year of King Darius of Persia's reign. This is roughly seven weeks after uh, after Haggai's initial call to rebuild the temple back in uh, verses 1 through 11 of chapter 1. And it's four weeks, about four weeks after verses 12 through 15, which Pastor Matt covered last week. And this work stopped for a combination of reasons. They liked the resources. Uh, The task before them was so immense that they were so discouraged, they didn't think that they could do it. And then there were also several festivals that uh, took place during this time on the days in which they couldn't work. And one of these feasts was the Feast of Tabernacles, which lasted a whole week. And so during this feast, the people dwelt in booths or tents around Jerusalem, and they worshiped throughout that week. And this festival was a reminder of God's faithfulness to provide for and to protect his people while they were in the wilderness after they were delivered from Egyptian slavery. This is how this feast was begun. And furthermore, it was actually during this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, that uh, the first temple, Solomon's temple, was dedicated. And so this would have served as a reminder of the grandeur of the first temple. And they're looking at just this measly foundation that had been laid 16 years prior, and they are super discouraged by that. So this feast would, again, have been a reminder of the glory of the first temple. And it's on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles that the word of the Lord comes to Haggai. 
God called Haggai to speak his word to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the high priest, and also to the people of God. And Haggai begins with the obvious in verse 3. The older Israelites are disappointed with the new temple. The older Israelites are discouraged and disappointed with this new temple. Again, this first temple that was built in Solomon's reign was glorious, filled with gold, and uh, majestic. It was grand. And this temple was, had been destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 BC. And Ezra 3 provides us with the account of the laying of the new, uh, the new temple, the foundation of the new temple, after the Israelites had returned from exile. This foundation was laid, uh, was laid 16 years prior to our passage here in Haggai this morning. Let's read from Ezra 3, 12 through 13. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw that the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. So some were shouting with joy that the new temple was being built. They were excited. Yet many of the older generation realized that this temple was not going to be as glorious as Solomon's temple. And so they were weeping. This one paled in comparison to the first. This disappointment was not based on the size of the temple. They were relatively similar sizes. Rather, the building materials were not going to be as nice. The gold and the silver were lacking. The Ark of the Covenant was not there. Other sacred objects. So since the temple was not going to be as grand as before, they were extremely discouraged by the task that was before them. They were disappointed, and they didn't want to move forward with this project. And it would have been easy for Haggai to just play along with this, with them, to just say, you know what, you're right. This task is too big for us, and so we're just not going to do it. But no, Haggai reminds them of the empowering presence of the glorious Lord. He reminds them of God's very presence among them. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. I'm sure you noticed the phrase, be strong, three different times here in these verses, just these two verses. Be strong. This is the imperative verb form of this. So this is a command from God to be strong. He speaks this to uh, Zerubbabel, to Joshua, and also to the people. Have courage, act, be strong. Continue to do the work that I've called you to. Don't be disheartened by the lack of progress that you've seen so far. Just keep plugging away and be faithful to the task that I have called you. This is also the same imperative verb that 
is used by God in Joshua chapter 1 four different times. Moses had died, and Joshua was now in leadership, and he was the one that was going to lead the people into the promised land. And what does God say? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Trust and know that the Lord is with you, knowing that he will come through on his promises. This is the same verb that we see in Joshua chapter 1. Haggai commands all the people to be strong, and he specifically calls out the high priest and the governor. I think it's worth noting that he singles out the leaders among the people. Because these are, the, these are the people that all of the, the Israelites are looking to for leadership. As they go, the people go. So they're the ones that are setting the trajectory for the rest of the people. Leaders set the pace for all those that are following. But he also calls all the people to be strong. And he calls us to be strong today, church, in our work as well. And why is it that we can be strong? What is the foundation of our strength? Why is it that we can continue the work of the Lord? We can continue to work because God is with us and he is faithful to his covenant. We can continue to work because God is with us and he is faithful to his covenant. In reference to the covenant in these verses, the phrase I made and I made a promise to you, I made literally means to cut. That's the Hebrew word for to cut. And this should make us to think back to the Abrahamic covenant. Whenever God made the, the covenant with Abraham, when he cut the, uh, the, the, the cow and the ram in half and God walked through the animals, these dead animals, this is, this is this refer- what this is referencing to. This language of cutting is cutting the animals in half and God walking through that. And this was his promise that he was going to bless his people, even though they were going to be enslaved in Israel or in Egypt for, uh, for 400 years. Uh, he was going to bless his people and give them the promised land. And that Abraham's descendants will be as vast as the stars of the sky. So this was how God enacted this covenant with his people was by the shedding of of these animals' blood, cutting them in half, walking through them, saying that I am swearing on myself that I will come through on the promises that I've just promised to you. Fast forward from Genesis 15 to Exodus, which Haggai references here in verse 5, that he made a covenant with his people as they came out of Egypt. Well, was God faithful to his covenant that he made back with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15? Well, he passed over those who were covered with the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, and he didn't kill the firstborn of their household. He eventually led Pharaoh to let his people go, to let the Israelites go from slavery. When they got to the Red Sea, and they're grumbling and complaining, God miraculously parts the Red Sea so that they can walk on dry land, and then he collapses the Red Sea back on top of the Egyptian soldiers. When they began to complain about their hunger pains, no big deal for God. He just rains manna down from heaven. Oh, and they get tired of that manna. And so even though they're complaining in God's grace, he provides them with meat. He provides them with an abundance of quail. 
Thirsty? No problem. God, God quenched it. The circumstances of the Israelites, uh, the circumstances and the future of the Israelites did not look promising in the wilderness. But the Lord was present. He came through for them. He sustained, empowered, and guided. He came through on his promises to his people. The same God who delivered and preserved you will do so again now, as is what Haggai's saying to his people. Therefore, do not fear the opposition of the people that you're facing and the lack of the supplies for rebuilding the temple. Be strong and rely on the one who never fails. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Church, it is impossible, impossible for our God to not come through on his promises to his people. Impossible. It's against his character. He is perfectly faithful. There are times that we are disheartened or overwhelmed with the task that is before us as the church. However, we have a mission from the Lord and we must take courage, be strong, knowing that he is with us and he is faithful to work through us despite our inadequacies. There are times that we're discouraged by the lack of fruit in our own lives or the lack of fruit in, the, in our ministry to others, but we must continue to persevere. We must continue to sow and water seeds and entrust God with the results. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29 God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The Israelites in Haggai's day were foolish according to the world. They didn't completely trust God's ways and The task that they were seeking to accomplish didn't make sense to those around them. They were weak, they were small in number, and the task before them was immense. They were low. They had just returned from exile, and they were just getting back on their feet. They were despised. Church, we too are foolish and weak and low according to the standards of the world around us. Yet in his sovereign grace, he has chosen us to do his work for his glory. And behold, he is with us always to the end of the age. His presence empowered the Israelites in Haggai's day to rebuild the temple. And it is his presence in us by the Spirit that empowers us to fulfill the mission that he has called us to today as the church, to make disciples of all nations. In verses 6 through 9, we see this glory that is to come, this future glory. Let's look at verses 6 through 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, 
says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. God will shake the heavens and the earth and the nations. This term shake literally means to quake. Biblical authors would use this language uh, to talk about a powerful storm that was coming through. Just this past week, my dad was working from his home office in Columbia, South Carolina, and all of a sudden his computer monitors began to shake violently. And then he hears this loud, thunderous boom. An earthquake, a 3.5 magnitude earthquake had just occurred about 40 miles away from their house. This is the type of powerful storm that he's, uh, that, that this, this term would be refer, used to refer to. This term was also used to refer to the coming kingdom of God. So the idea here is that God is going to stir up his creation and his people to accomplish his sovereign work. We also see this phrase yet once more. And so this implies that God has done this beforehand. So one example of this would be at the giving of the law in Exodus 19:18. God set Mount Sinai on fire and encircled it with with smoke. And his glory shook, quaked the mountain. God is proclaiming that he will sovereignly and mightily act for his people again. Just as he did giving the law, he is going to do that again now. He will provide the resources that, is, that are needed in order to have this second temple built. The Lord's shaking will lead the nations to freely give up their resources so that this second temple will be built. God used King Darius of Persia for this very purpose. He read the decree from King Cyrus from years prior, which says this in Ezra 6. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury, and also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem be, and, and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. Darius read this decree from Cyrus and immediately told the Israelites to begin rebuilding this temple. Continue the work, and I'll pay for it. It'll come from our royal treasury, and we will pay for this rebuilding of the temple. So the treasures of the nations came and filled, and, and this, is, this is what was used to rebuild uh, the, the temple, just as Haggai proclaimed. God is sovereign not just over his people, his chosen people, but all the peoples of the earth and all of the silver and gold. Psalm 47, 6 through 8, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. God is sovereign over all of the kings of the earth because he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He uses all of his creation and all of human beings for his own glory, however he 
pleases. Earlier in the text, the older generation of the Israelites were very discouraged about the state of the temple. But the Lord used Haggai to remind them, uh, to, to use Haggai to, to reassure them and remind them that with his promise that the latter glory, the latter glory will be greater than the former. I'm going to unpack this latter glory in four different stages as we look at the biblical storyline. First, the glory of the second temple. The second temple was eventually completed four years later. Uh, again, Cyrus and Darius uh, were responsible for providing the means for which this temple would be rebuilt. And historical records also show that King Herod, in Jesus' days, uh, helped uh, make this, this temple even uh, more magnificent. So this temple actually ended up far exceeding the expectations of the Israelites in Haggai's day. It was much more glorious than they actually thought was possible. So the glory of the second temple. Second, the glory of Jesus. In the context of Jesus teaching about him being Lord of the Sabbath in Matthew 12, 6, he says this about, uh, he, he says, I tell you, something greater, something greater than the temple is here. And so he's talking about himself. He's talking about not a building that represents the presence of God, but God in the flesh, coming to tabernacle with his people. This is what Jesus did. The God-man came to dwell among sinful mankind. He came to accomplish his mission. As Jesus cleansed the temple in John chapter 2, he said this to a group of Jews, destroy this temple and three days, and in three days I will raise it up. He's not referring to the physical temple itself, right? He's talking about his own body. He's talking about the mission for which he came, to live a perfect, sinless life, to die on a Roman cross, and then on the third day to be raised from the grave. Colossians 1, 19-20, For in him, Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the God-man came to give his life as a ransom, to shed his precious blood. And why did he have to shed his precious blood? Church, for you and I. That's what we just celebrated in the Lord's Supper. The shedding of our Savior's precious blood so that you and I would be washed cleansed from our sins, made anew. Perhaps you're here this morning and you haven't been washed with the blood of the Lamb. You haven't trusted in the one who is greater than the temple, who came to give of his life and on the third day rise from the grave. I would urge you to turn from your sin, to recognize that one day you will stand before a holy and just God and you will have to give an account for your life. And friend, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard. We are all in need of forgiveness. As Tyler said, sinners come to the table. Repentant sinners come to the table, the Lord's table. 
So none of us are perfect. We all need a Savior. And so, friend, I would urge you to make the day, today the day of salvation for you. Christ Jesus was the stone that the builders rejected, and he has now become the cornerstone of the church. So, friend, repent and believe. Cast all of your hope on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, because he alone can rescue you. Third stage of glory, the glory of the living temple, the church. 1 Peter 2, 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So as I mentioned, Jesus is the cornerstone. He laid down his life for the living temple, the church. And this is the current stage we are in. We're in the age of the church. And we, the people of God, are the living stones that are being built together. And God is using us to accomplish his mission, to spread the gospel to the nations, to make disciples of all peoples. So the glory of the living temple, the church. And lastly, where we'll focus the bulk of our time as we conclude this morning, the glory of the heavenly temple. Revelation 21, 22 through 27. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So this passage points to the end when all who have trusted in Jesus will be in the very presence of God. And there won't be any need for any more temple because the Lord God and the Lamb himself will be the temple. And his presence will be perfect peace, as we see in Haggai 2, verse 9. There won't be any more suffering or conflict. There won't be any more sin. There will just be perfect communion with God and with one another. And to, to talk about this future hope as well, we're going to look to Hebrews chapter 12. So turn there to Hebrews chapter 12 as we conclude our time together this morning. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 18 through 24, compares the old and the new covenant. And we learn that the new covenant is greater than the old. And we also see in verse 24 that Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant by his shed blood. And then we are going to read Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. And please, as we do that, note that Haggai 2.6 is quoted here in these verses. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, 
I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The Israelites rejected God at Mount Sinai, as I referenced earlier, when the giving of the law occurred. And Moses comes down from the mountain, and they are worshiping the golden calf. So the people rejected God in that moment. That's what we see in verse 25 of Hebrews 12. The people also rejected God uh, whenever they didn't trust him to go into the promised land. And then they were cast into the wilderness for 40 years, for a generation, before Joshua would lead the people into the promised land. And then going into verse 26, as Moses received the law on Mount Sinai, again, this fire consumed the mountain, smoke encircled the whole mountain, and the glory of the Lord shook, quaked the mountain. He shook the earth. And the Lord promised to shake the heavens and the earth again. And one day soon, church, the Lord will return, and he will make good on his promise. And remember, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God will come through on this promise. This earthly kingdom and all that is in it will one day pass away. But the kingdom of God shall not be shaken. God's rule and reign are almighty and sovereign. Our salvation is secure. Our victory, church, is certain. All who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only name under heaven which man can be saved, will have everlasting peace with God. Church family, praise be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God that absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, not even death. Our citizenship in heaven cannot be revoked. Our title of son and daughter is secure forever. We cannot be cast out of the family of God. Therefore, let us offer acceptable worship to our heavenly Father, who alone is worthy. This is the overarching theme of Haggai, that the almighty sovereign God is worthy to be worshiped, and the people of God are called to do the work of God, enabled by God, to the glory of God. As we conclude, we've got three application questions for us to consider in light of the fact that the kingdom of God is eternal and it is unshakable. First of all, what earthly things are you putting too much of an emphasis on? Put differently, how should the future hope of heaven 
transform how you live today? Does how you live show that you prioritize God and his mission more so than anything else in this world? What are the idols that are competing for your worship, that are leading you astray from worshiping Christ, living holy lives, and living on mission for his glory? Perhaps it's money, job, vacation, leisure, sports, your house, cars. The list could go on and on and on. What are the competing idols in your life for your affections for Christ? We brought nothing into this world, church, and we cannot take anything with us when we leave. This earthly kingdom will come to an end one day when the Lord returns. He will shake the heavens and the earth again. And the things of this earth are not going to offer us salvation. They're not going to offer us any joy. But Christ, the gospel, that is what offers us everlasting hope. And so what is competing for your affections for Christ? Second, how can you use your gifts to build up the living temple, the church? In Haggai's day, their task was to rebuild the second temple. We are now the temple, church. And our mission is not to rebuild a building, but it is to take the gospel to the nations, to serve one another, to serve the bride of Christ. And God has given every single believer spiritual gifts to use them to build up the body so that we would all attain the maturity of the faith in Christ. So we need all of the body parts to function so that we would all uh, be built up in maturity and so that the whole body would be healthy. These opportunities range from serving within a ministry within the church to doing the one another's of Scripture. Those are all ways in which we can build up the body of Christ to serve in the living temple, the church. The point is that we all need to be intentional to use the gifts that God has given us for the good of the church and to the glory of God. So how might the Lord be stirring in you to sacrificially serve the body of Christ so that he would be glorified and that the body would be built up? Third, what hinders you from sharing the most glorious news of all time? First of all, are you brokenhearted for those that are not a part of this unshakable kingdom? Does your heart break when you think about your lost family member or friend, coworker, that doesn't have the hope of the gospel? If all of this earth is going to be taken away when the Lord returns, and the only thing that will ultimately matter is God and his kingdom, his heavenly kingdom, then we ought to be brokenhearted for those that are putting their hope in themselves and the things of this world, because that's no hope at all. God alone offers this hope. So consider the reality of your neighbors, your loved ones that don't 
know the Lord by faith, who will stand before him one day in judgment. Perhaps there's a, you, have, you have a fear of man in sharing the gospel with others. Church, God's work will not fail. There is a 100% guaranteed success rate. So live out and proclaim your faith boldly. It's not dependent on us. It's God doing the work through us. Do not fear those who can kill the body. Rather fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell. Matthew 10. Church, Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And so we can confidently, boldly, lovingly, graciously hold out the hope of the gospel to those around us. The present time in which we live is is sandwiched between the, the past that has already happened, but also the future that is to come. And we ought to be a people who look back and recall God's faithfulness in our lives, but also look forward to the future hope that we have that our God will return and he will make all things new. He will shake the heavens and the earth again. And as we do so, as we look back, as we're reminded of God's faithfulness, as we look forward, knowing that God is faithful to his promises, knowing that he will return one day, may we confidently live for and work for the, here, for, for the Lord in the here and now, empowered by his spirit, empowered by his grace, all for his glory. Church, let's pray. Lord, we do praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you for your faithful and errant word that we hold in our very hands this morning. We thank you that we have access to it. We thank you so much that we have the whole story of the gospel, of your glorious gospel that we see unfold all throughout Scripture. We thank you so much that you came down to dwell among us, to tabernacle with us, to live a perfect, sinless life, the life that we could not live, and to die a sinner's death that we deserved and you did not. Thank you for dying on the cross, Jesus, shedding your precious blood so that we could be cleansed. Lord, I pray for my friends here this morning who have not believed in Jesus, who have not put their hope in you to rescue them from sin and death. Lord, would they see that you love them and want a relationship with them and that the only way that that happens is through repenting of their sin, turning from their sin and trusting completely in Jesus alone to rescue them. Oh God, would you humble them right now and would you work in their hearts and give them new life in Christ? Lord, would they recognize the fact that you will return one day soon and they will have to give an account to you? And either they will have to take the judgment for their sins or they can completely trust in Christ to take that payment for them. Lord, for those of us who are part of your kingdom, thank you. We are humbled 
and we worship you in all and wonder that you and your grace would invite us to be your sons and daughters, a part of your kingdom that cannot be shaken. Lord, may you embolden us in light of this fact, in light of the fact that we have been invited into your kingdom and that your kingdom cannot be shaken. Would you embolden us to live for your glory, to pursue holiness, and also, Lord, to live on mission, to spread your glory to the ends of the earth. We pray that you would empower us to do that. And we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.